It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal wherever you get your podcast, And watch on Bloomberg Originals, Bloomberg Television, or BTV+. This is Bloomberg Law with June Grosso from Bloomberg Radio. I woke up this morning, Texas on my mind. And Texas is on the minds of patent holders suing big tech and those Texas juries in particular. During the pandemic, while most courts across the country hit the pause button on jury trials, juries in three small towns in Texas have delivered seven verdicts totaling more than $3.7 billion to patent holders against tech companies, among them Apple, Intel, and Samsung. Joining me is Bloomberg legal reporter Laurel Culkins. Laurel, of all the patent cases filed in the U.S. last year, 30% of them ended up in Texas and in three small towns in Texas. Why? Well, it's very interesting. It's sort of a a perfect storm of opportunity for the companies that own these patents. Texas has sort of long been known for whopping jury verdicts. That's sort of its reputation. But it has developed a subspecialty in patent law and intellectual property law in general, but patent law in specific, thanks to a couple of judges who are really good at it. There was a judge in a little town called Marshall, which is very close to the Louisiana border in East Texas. And many years ago, he started specializing in patent law and developed what was called the rocket docket. He could move patent cases through pretty darn fast. So people said, I want my case heard. I'm going to go there. Well, the U.S. Supreme Court was actually involved in one point to try to limit cases from companies all over the country filing in this little courthouse in East Texas. So that got dialed back a bit. But then... A couple of years ago, a new judge was appointed in another small town in Texas called Waco, which is halfway between Austin and Dallas, and he happens to be an intellectual property lawyer by training. So he set up his own version of the rocket docket over in Waco, and people have been flooding into it. Uh, Patent cases filed in Texas last year, all of them landed in three little courthouses. All but 64 of 857 patent cases landed on Judge Albright's desk in Waco. And over in Marshall, a judge named uh, Rodney Gilstrap took in 252 patent cases of the 395 filed in that district. So it's just this flood of patent cases being filed in these small town courthouses, and these judges decided you know what, we're actually more afraid of the backlog of these cases becoming unmanageable than we're fearing COVID becoming unmanageable because in small towns sometimes they're rather isolated and they haven't had the infection rate that the big cities have had. How do two judges manage that number of cases, the sheer caseload? Well, I can only imagine that they live with their hair on fire. They've hired staff and, you know, like everybody else, last March when COVID first swamped the country, they closed their courthouses too. They said, you know, we're going to do what we need to do. But then as the uh, infection rate 
either didn't materialize or remained manageable in their jurisdictions, they said, we got to get back on it. And so Rodney Gilstrap over in Marshall was one of the very first to reopen his courtroom. And he installed great big plexiglass shields around the jury box. And he put a plexiglass box around the witness box. And he socially distanced everybody. And all the lawyers have to wear their masks. And I think only the lawyers who were arguing at the time can be in the courtroom. Everybody else has to be in an adjacent courtroom watching on uh, closed circuit TV. So they put in a lot of safety precautions. And they've been doing a lot of testing. And so they're moving forward as quickly as they can. In fact, over in Waco, Judge Albright seems to be on a pace to hold a trial a week. For as far as I can see, he's got one right now underway between two patent litigants. The last time they met was in his courtroom a month ago, and the jury returned a verdict of $2.18 billion against Intel, the big microchip maker. Now, that was one of the largest patent damage awards in U.S. history, and these are just eye-popping numbers. You talk to jury consultants. Is there a reason why these numbers are just so high? Actually, there is, and it's kind of a confluence of factors. The first one that the jury consultant says is undeniably true is that juries are taking their civic responsibility deathly seriously because they literally are putting their lives on the line to come into the jury box. So as a result, they're not putting up with any nonsense anymore. If they think that a patent claim is frivolous, they're just going to pour the litigant out. And conversely, if they think that the big tech implementer who's made all the products using somebody else's technology has stolen a little guy's idea... They're going to trounce them. They're going to hammer them. And that's what's been happening over and over again. There's another factor that the jury consultant said is playing an enormous factor, and that's the pandemic itself in these large awards. The jurors' nerves are frayed because they've got all this pent-up frustration from not being able to live their lives for the past year. Now they're being imposed upon to weigh these matters. And as a result, they're just pouring their frustration into these, uh, these jury awards. I mean, look at what happened to Apple in the last seven months in Texas. Apple has gone through three jury trials, and all three went against them. And looking at that, they were facing a fourth Texas jury last month. They had already picked the jury, and I guess they saw something they didn't like very much in that jury, and they settled. After seven years of unsuccessful settlement talks with the litigant, they said, nope, we're not going to trial. And they cut some kind of a deal that we don't know what the terms are. Going back to Intel for a moment, explain how that was just the first part of the trial. This trial has actually been taking place in in tranches or stages. The first one happened many years ago where Intel was determined to have actually infringed on the technology of this little company that goes by its initials, VLSI. So the determination that they'd done it was done years ago. Now they've just been arguing about how much Intel owes for the various patents that were infringed. So in the case that happened last month on this one set of patents, they were found to be liable for almost $2.2 billion. And then The judge said, well, it was just too much for one jury to wrap their mind around to have all these patents presented in one case. So he sliced and diced it up into three trials. And the second one is ongoing now. And the third one will take place in June, all of which are occurring in the small town of Waco. And as the jury consultant pointed out, you know, these are small towns. These newspaper headlines are seen by an awful lot of people. The TVs talk about them. And as a result, it's sort of acclimating these small town jury pools to these whopping awards. He says, for better or worse, billions is the new million in some of these venues. The judge refused to move the trial or even delay it. Right. He's not going to delay anything because he's got this enormous ocean swell of cases behind him pushing him forward. So he really is up against the the clock on trying to process as many as possible. Plus, um, most judges believe that they can weed out jurors that have predetermined opinions. 
Sometimes they're right, sometimes they're wrong. But jurors go through a process of questioning before every trial, known as voir dire or voir dire, depending on where you're from. <laughs> and uh, they they sometimes tip their hand that they've made up their mind, or else they admit it that they've made up their mind, and then those people don't serve on the jury. So the judges have a lot of faith in that process, and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Join Bloomberg in San Francisco or virtually on May 7th for The Future Investor, Data-Powered Transformations. This 2024 event series will examine how data is not only playing a pivotal role in investment decisions, but serves as a driving force behind the construction of innovative, investable enterprises. This series is proudly sponsored by Invesco QQQ. Register at BloombergLive.com slash futureinvestor slash radio. Laurel, the reputations of tech companies have been tarnished in many consumers' eyes, what with the data breaches, privacy, and antitrust concerns. But the plaintiffs in these cases are not the inventors of the patents. They're the companies that bought the patents from the inventor. So it's hard to see why the jury is sympathetic to them. It's not like a big corporation has ripped off the inventor or the little guy. Well, that's true. And there's a term in the industry for these companies that hold the patents but don't make any products themselves. And they're often referred to as patent trolls, which is very unflattering. As John Oliver said, it's unflattering to trolls. But the implication is that these people are just mining the patents for the money. Well, the way they present it to the jury is what makes the difference. They will tell the jury, we're defending the idea of this little guy inventor. This little guy inventor or this little cluster of inventors years ago came up with this fabulous innovation, and these big companies just tromped all over it. And if they present it that way, they're playing into sort of a natural tendency of Texas juries. Texans have an inclination to align themselves with the underdog. They love it when the underdog wins. They don't let people stomp around on the little guy. They're not big on bullies, regardless of what you might think of their politics. And as a result, these juries are kind of finding themselves aligning with these patent holders who don't make any products themselves against some of the biggest names in America and whose products the juries use right and left. So it's, it's a very strange dichotomy when you think about it. But it seems like over and over again, formula is working in Texas right now. Now, I take it that sometimes patent holders do lose in these Texas courts. Oh, absolutely. It's not a slam dunk. I don't mean to imply that it is, because just in the last few months, Alphabet's Google unit has defeated a patent infringement claim that would have been worth hundreds of millions of dollars had it succeeded. And the Roku streaming giant has defeated twice now claims by so-called patent trolls trying to come after some of their technology. So it's not a slam dunk. And that's why sometimes companies are willing to roll the dice. There's another one. So it's set for trial, I think, in a week. It's a trial between a little company called Ancora and Samsung and also LG Electronics. Well, a week or two ago, Samsung said, you know, we're not going to trial with you guys. So they settled, but LG is not. So you know, we don't know what's going to happen. And when we talked to one of the Bloomberg analysts who tracks patents and the impact of patents on companies, he told us this whole trend, this whole string of eye-popping verdicts is something that the big tech industry needs to pay attention to. They can't ignore the fact that this is going on just because they think they've got smart enough lawyers to beat it. You know, some of these overwhelming awards might be cut down on appeal, and I take it there are going to be a lot of appeals here. Oh, absolutely. And that's what's unique to, to patent litigation is even though they're tried in federal court, they don't flow up through the regular channels. Um, normally, uh, federal courts in Texas flow into the Fifth Circuit Appellate Court in New Orleans. 
And uh, that's a notoriously conservative court, and it's becoming harder and harder to predict what they're going to do. But uh, and then up to the Supreme Court. Well, now these these litigation uh, patent litigation claims flow through the federal circuit in District of Columbia in Washington in the capital. So they go to a different channel. They go to a different set of judges that's more accustomed to looking only at patent claims, you know, or more often at patent claims. So yeah, these awards often aren't held up on appeal, and often they get kicked back down to be uh, retried, and sometimes they get kicked back down again and again. Um, there's one. There's a couple of those that went on for uh, almost 10 years between Apple and a little outfit called Vernetics, um, and that kept going back and forth on the appellate level. And within the last slightly more than a year, Vernetics has twice won damages uh, from Apple on the order of half a billion dollars per trial. So Apple has lost more than a billion dollars on those two proceedings, even though it's taken like 10 years to play out. And it's not done yet. I mean, it's still going to go back up on appeal. So the Supreme Court limiting jurisdiction, that didn't help at all? It did until the new judge was appointed in Waco. And so <laughs> it's like when you squeeze a water balloon, you squeeze it in one place, it's going to bulge out somewhere else. So that's the inadvertent result is that a patent attorney took over the bench in Waco, and so everybody ran there. And I don't know whether somebody is going to ask the Supreme Court to once again look at whether limitations need to be drawn. The biggest problem is, the way they restricted the filings in Marshall over in East Texas was the Supreme Court said that in order to drag a big tech company to court there, the big tech company has to have some kind of operational or commercial footprint within the district. And since it's not a huge employment center, not a huge manufacturing base or retail base, a lot of companies could escape trial there on that basis. Well, the problem is Waco is drawn into the same district as Austin, and that you've probably seen the headlines of all the technology companies relocating to Austin or beefing up their operations in Austin. Well, the side benefit of that, or unfortunate side benefit, is that exposes them to litigation in Waco because Waco's in the same district. I'm not sure how they're going to draw the lines to limit this from happening now. The first maneuver worked. I don't know how to, to make a second maneuver that would have the same result. It's like an industry in these towns, the patent litigation industry. Oh, absolutely. And I've often wondered if, like, you went and sat down in the courthouse cafe or something or in the small cafe on the courthouse square, whether you could talk arcane patent litigation with whoever <laughs> was sitting at the table next to you. I mean, exactly how much does the jury pool start to become educated about patent law? It's an amazing thing that these small towns with these, you know, a lot of them are blue-collar people, just average bedrock Americans who are sitting and listening to these highly technical definitions and explanations of routers and microchips and software that does this or that. And it's amazing that it's all happening in these little small towns. And then the, the outcome are these enormous verdicts. But that's why we decided it needed to be written about, because it was pretty unusual that lightning seems to keep striking again and again. Thanks, Laurel. That's Bloomberg legal reporter Laurel Culkins. And that's it for this edition of the Bloomberg Law Show. I'm June Grosso, and you're listening to Bloomberg. Join Bloomberg in San Francisco or virtually on May 7th for The Future Investor, Data-Powered Transformations. This 2024 event series will examine how data is not only playing a pivotal role in investment decisions, but serves as a driving force behind the construction of innovative, investable enterprises. This series is proudly sponsored by Invesco QQQ. Register at BloombergLive.com slash Future Investor slash Radio.